Speaking about the lender, so before that, when I was all on my own, I actually had BDMs to this day who are still in the business and could attest to this that would show up at my office because I was trying to do absolutely everything. They'd ask me if they can rifle through my file folders for conditions. That was unsustainable. Right. I get phone calls from the regional manager saying, John, we cannot have our BDMs come to your office every single time to fulfill conditions just because you're too busy. Right. So all this stuff just started to pile up, That's right? hilarious. It'd be great. It's like free help, right? Well, at the any top- BDMs listening to this, you know, um, don't worry, we won't ask you to do that again. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Today on the show, I have John Barges. John is a mortgage broker, owner of Mortgage Edge and founder of Simbic. He's in the mortgage business since 1989. The first time I met John was at a conference and I was speaking and John was sitting in the front row and he literally stopped me in the presentation, asked me a question, which I've never had anybody do before. We had a great dialogue and later on, I learned that John is just a very direct guy, very kind-hearted, but will definitely you know be direct with you. A couple of takeaways from this conversation. First, John shares how working crazy hours, 14-hour days, nearly killed him. He fell asleep at the wheel and almost went off the road. He's like, oh my gosh, this is craziness. I got to change this. So he ended up walking into a bank with some bankers that he knew that he worked with on the mortgage side and said, what do they pay you? Offered them double, started a company and started to get some help. And from there, scaled his business up to 600 loans a year and has since now spends his energy on his mortgage company, helping his agents as well as growing Simbic. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with John. Check it out. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Scott. Appreciate it. So, hey, tell me a little bit about how did you get into the mortgage business? Like, you know, most people in kindergarten don't say when I grow up, I want to be a mortgage broker. So what was your path here? Well, I started off actually investigating the possibility of entering the banking world when I was in second year university. You know, typically what would happen is on career day, you'd have a number of the potential employers setting up shop in the main uh, square. You know, I'd approach each and every one of them, ask them the question of, you know, what does it take to get employed by you once one graduates? And the one thing that I was told by pretty much everybody was a central theme was anybody can do well in school scholastically if they really want to. What we're looking for is what are the extracurricular activities and things that you do outside of your scholastic responsibilities. Right. I asked, like, what, such as? And they said, well, maybe joining an association of some sort, you know, and moving your way through that, which would develop your experiences. And the other thing was, how about, you know, a part-time job? Like, is there anything that you can do to demonstrate that you can juggle a few balls in the air at the same time? Right. Well, I went down to the local bank. I was actually Canada Trust at the time and was literally half a block away from the house and walked in and I said, you know, I'm here and I'd like a job, a part-time job if it's available. So I took the test, you know, there was uh, some sort of an aptitude test and clearly I passed and that's how my banking career started. So I kind of started off as a teller in banking and then kind of made my way through to a part-time lending area. And when I graduated, I happened to like lending money and I became a full-time personal banking manager and In December of 1989, I was working for a small banking institution that ended up folding its tent. I lost my job. I I just bought a house, actually, that was quite expensive at the time. What year was this? 19? It was December 1989. So, yeah, so if you go that far back, Scott, the real estate curve was on a 90-degree angle downward. Right. 
1990, 91, 92, 93. Look, you're from Vancouver. I mean, well, BC anyway. And I could tell you that Vancouver was very hard hit yeah. with, you know, price depreciation in and around the 40 to 60% range. Mm-hmm. So sales were very scarce and knew nothing about the brokerage business aside from what I was being told at the bank level. And that was, oh, listen, don't touch those brokers. They're loan sharks. Right. Well, They'll drive you into bankruptcy or they'll do break your knees. <laughs> Everything but maybe yeah. they can help you help your clients, right? Right. My friend, who became my wife at the time, also worked for the bank. And she suggested when I lost my job, she says, Why don't you become a mortgage broker? And I said, A what? She says, A mortgage broker. I said, Aren't those guys crooks? Are you swearing at me? <laughs> <laughs> And she goes, no, no, no. She says, look, I'm not going to mention the bank, but she said the bank that we happen to know quite well and we were dealing with says they actually pay those very crooks that you're making reference to, to refer them business. And I thought, wow, this is something to investigate. So I'm going to say when I decided to interview with a couple of brokerage houses, I didn't do it with complete conviction. My goal was to kind of shop around and look at other opportunities within the banking world because I had this vision in my mind ever since I was a teenager. I wanted to be a president of a large corporation. Right. How did my life change? Right. We're going to talk about that actually change and mm-hmm. how important that is going forward. Right. So, boy, did it change. And I'll never forget this. I walked into this one brokerage and I remember as I walked through the doorway, I had this image of 20 guys coming up to me, lassoing me, hog tying me, and checking my pockets, all because of the visions that were instilled in my mind. Why you worked at the bank? My banking past. Right. And when I actually sat down and I listened, a number of them actually were former bankers. And I'll never forget this. The one guy looks at me and he says, You're going to make. 65000 in your first year. And Scott, I was making at the time, before I lost my job, $37,500 a year. Right. And I remember thinking, is this guy crazy? Yeah. I've met him for literally 15 minutes, and he's already telling me how much money I'm going to make. Well, you know what, Scott? He was wrong. Because I made sixty four five. Right. My first year in 1990, and if you go back that far, that was a lot of money. And yeah. my... My goal was to at least make what I was made before. Got it. That was my goal. So I almost sold it. Yep. It kind of just took off from there, Scott. That 500 bucks, say one more deal just to get that 500 bucks. It's almost like when I used to go home with, you know, my father and say, dad, I got 95. Isn't it fantastic? He'd say, what happened to the other five points? Right. Exactly. (laughs) You're like, are you kidding me? Okay, so before we dive into the rest of your story, I'd love to ask about a quote. So I love quotes, how they're impactful. And so do you have a quote that's really had an impact on your life or business? You know, Scott, I'm really big on quotes, actually. So I've had several. Actually, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind sharing a couple with you, if that's okay. Sure, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, So the one that I would always stick by was that with adversity comes opportunity. And for those who, you know, who care to look this up, it comes from Benjamin Franklin. And I'll tell you why, because it actually applies to, you know, my life and a lot of the different things that I've experienced over time. Here I am telling you a few minutes ago how I had an adverse situation. I lost my job. I had just bought a house and I was getting married. 
And, and, the, pro and the property value was going down. Listen, that's a story in itself, okay? Yeah. So instead of burying my head in the sand, I actually went out there and found the opportunity. And man, what an opportunity it was. Mm -hmm. You know, the brokering business was just unbelievable. It was an unbelievable godsend to me. Right. And, and you know, look, I gave up on my goal of becoming the president of a very large multinational corporation, but I can actually live with myself in that. So out of adversity comes opportunity. Never, ever forget that. And that's something that I teach anyone who wants to listen. So let me ask you this, like in your company now, how do you identify, like this guy obviously identified something in you. Maybe he says that to everybody. I don't know. Maybe he says it to all the girls. Hey, you all look pretty. Or maybe he saw something. In you. When you look at people now, what is it that you look for? So when you're hiring somebody, what do you look for that you say this person's got the spark or doesn't? I'm curious. First of all, I, you know, just like I'm being interviewed by them to see if I'm the right fit for them, I also ask a lot of questions. And I ask a lot of questions because I want to make sure, Scott, that we're a right fit for one another. So I'm looking for longevity. Okay. I'm not looking for the short term kill. I'm looking for longevity. So the things that I look for are what is it that this person is saying that's giving me the impression that they're clearly looking to build a career? in this business. I used to teach the course at one time, the agent course in Ontario. And I'll never forget there were, it was a class of about 30 and I'd go up and down the different rows and I'd always ask the question, why are you here? Do you know that maybe one out of every 30 and maybe two, I heard the words, I'm here to build a career. Right. Which was a little bit disheartening actually, because that's really why you should be getting into this business. It's to build a career. So that's the one thing I look for. Then I look for, Scott, how much time have they actually spent thinking about it? So why are you here? Tell me how you got here. Tell me why you decided that this was the right thing for you. Right. Surely, surely you must have thought about, you know, are you going to approach your spheres of influence? You have a list of, you know, real estate agents in your back pocket. How much time have you spent educating yourself? Which is important because mm -hmm. without knowledge, you don't have power. How long have you spent educating yourself? If you can't answer those questions, then I'm not the right fit for you because I'm a big believer in the concept of learning by doing. Mm -hmm. I could sit there and spend the entire day, in fact, the entire week and month with you, reading line by line every single lender policy and so on and so forth. You know how much of that you're going to retain if I do that with you? To 3%. If you're lucky. Yeah. If you're lucky. So my preference is go out, make the effort. You took a course. Show me how much of that you are actually capable of applying mm -hmm. to the real thing. Because this is no longer about education. This is about the practical side of the business. I always say you can't learn to drive from book, right? From a manual, like you've got to actually get behind the wheel. You can't learn to cut hair from, you know, watching videos. You've actually got to cut hair and mortgages are the same. If you don't get your hands on files, the only way the lessons stick, I find for me, you get a file, you have a problem with it. And all of a sudden you realize there's a, something you missed in the underwriting guidelines that's creating stress for you. That will burn into your brain. You'll remember from that point on prior to that, you'll skip over, you'll read through it. You won't even pay attention. You'll be like, gone through it like nothing. Uh, I once saw a guy who um, 
who got a haircut from someone who did it, you know, by using a manual. And the thing I said to them when I saw him was, did you just have a fight with a lawnmower and lose? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally. Like you wouldn't, like I guarantee you, which is always crazy. Anyways, I won't go down that path, but okay. So I got off track there, but you said something I was like, and I know that you have run a great business. And so I wanted to just ask about your insights on this. So tell me about failure. So you know what, you can't be in business and not have failure, but there's always a lesson in it when you look back. So can you share something you failed at? And then now looking back, the lesson well, you got. You know what, speaking about failure, I got another couple of quotes I'm going to share with you that actually leads right into that. Okay, perfect. Do this. Do the quote and then the failure. All right. So Franklin Roosevelt, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. That is critical. Now, understand why it's critical. Why do people procrastinate, Scott? And procrastination is a form of failure. Mm-hmm. And fear. You procrastinate because you're fearing that if you undertake to do something that you may not have taken to understand well, or to investigate, or to educate yourself on, you're likely going to fail at it. So by procrastinating in your own delusional mind, you've convinced yourself you haven't failed when in fact- You're avoiding failure. Yeah, yeah. You haven't even started because not starting is in itself a form of failure. Right. So that's one thing that I actually point out when I do quarterly sometimes with agents who, you know, I feel need that extra push. Mm -hmm. And the other quote is, this is a quote by Jordan Belfort. Are you familiar with him? Yeah, the Wolf of Wall Street. You got it. The only thing standing between you and your goal is the bullshit story you keep telling yourself as to why you can't achieve it. Right. Right? Because those are excuses. I don't believe in I can't. I believe in I won't. Right. Right? Because if you don't make the right effort, organized and strategic effort, an educated effort, and set goals and accomplish those goals and execute on them, then really it's just yourself telling you that you can't when really you won't. Right. So... You asked me about failure in life. Mm -hmm. I applied those quotes. I'll tell you something I failed at. One thing that I actually bring to everybody's attention who I have the opportunity to and wants to listen. I was that transactional guy at one point in time in my life. Do you remember I said earlier, you know, most agents are AAA personalities that race down that path. Yeah. They don't pay attention to opportunity. I was always looking for that next deal. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where I was working 14 hour days, seven days a week straight. Mm -hmm. I'm not kidding you when I tell you that I remember on a couple of occasions falling asleep at the wheel when I'm on my way home. Right. That's crazy. It is crazy, you know? And in fact, the muffler that happened to be sitting on the shoulder of one of the highways that I was driving on happened to wake me up while I was headed straight for the guardrail. Right. So you talk about, you know, Somebody keeping an eye on you from above, right? Right. So all these little events that started to happen in my life made me become aware and start thinking about the whys and hows. How can I change my life to make it better? And to stop really fearing that change, because that's what I was fearing. I was fearing if I change the way I do business, my business is going to slow down. Mm -hmm. Rather than thinking, Scott, about 
what is it that I can do to actually build my business larger and stronger? And the thing I came up with was, I was doing business at the time with some local banks because not everything was centralized like it is today. And I was dealing with a couple of local underwriters who were very, very strong. I walked into the branch and I said, how much are you earning? And the response was, ah, 30, 35,000 a year. And I offered them double of that, Scott, double. I hired two of them, two assistants. You just put a V10 engine in your business. I put a V10 engine in the business and I also employed structure process that I sat down and thought about mm-hmm. because I couldn't continue having those close calls on the shoulder of each and every highway. Right. Eventually your luck would be bad. Something was going to happen and mm-hmm. it wasn't going to be good. Right. So I decided to change and make that change for the better. I went, Scott, to 600 transactions a year back in the late 90s. So in 1997, 98, 99, and 2000, I was doing over 600 ends a year. And if you look back at the average mortgage back in those years, it was around $230,000 to $240,000 each. Yeah. So you can just imagine how many transactions that was on a per day basis when you broke it down. Right. I started planning with calendars. It was like, okay, so every Friday I've got to close so many deals. How do I get there? What role are my assistants going to play? Who, by the way, went from two to four. Yeah. Okay. So what role are my assistants going to play? What role am I going to play? How am I going to educate them? Because you do have to step back and start working on your business, not in your business. And that's what I decided. I had to sit back and ask myself, how am I going to educate them to make me better? Make me better in the eyes of a lender, make me better in the eyes of the customer, and make me better from a personal perspective. So improve my personal life so that after a certain time of the day, I was no longer engaging clients right, and taking weekends off. So that's the kind of thing, you know, I had failed at for the first seven years or six years of my career. So what kind of transactions were you doing prior to putting in the team when you were just basically trying to do everything yourself? I was doing everything. The failure, Scott, really was that I was doing everything and it was ridiculous. Right. It's one thing when you're doing five to 10 deals a month. Yeah. It's entirely another when you're closing 20 deals every Friday and then lots in between. Right. Trying to do that all on your own, it was unthinkable. Right. So, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you basically put a team in place so you can provide better customer experience, and then you had to adjust your role and your priorities. So, you have to do the goal setting, do the coaching of the team, you know, and keeping the client and lender in mind as well. That's really good. Speaking about the lender, so before that, when I was all on my own, I actually had BDMs. To this day, who are still in the business and could attest to this, that would show up at my office because I was trying to do absolutely everything. They'd ask me if they can rifle through my file folders for conditions. That was unsustainable. Right. I get phone calls from the regional manager saying, John, we cannot have our BDMs come to your office every single time to fulfill conditions just because you're too busy. Right. So all this stuff just started to pile up, That's right? That's hilarious. <laughs> It'd be great. It's like free help, right? 
Well, at any the top- BDMs listening to this, you know, um, don't worry, we won't ask you to do that again. That's really good. Okay, so recently, what's the biggest change you made to your business in this last 12 months? So COVID has, you know, played some changes. Has that affected your business in any way? And what was a positive change you made? Well, look, I mean, I was accustomed to making change because, you know, that was probably my first turning point and my first real embrace of understanding why change has to happen. So I was accustomed to it throughout my entire career beyond that. Really just the embrace of new ways of communication. Scott, we were already mostly virtual to begin with. Okay, let's call it what it is. I mean, how many agents and brokers out there actually see a good number of their clients? I'm going to suggest that if you're seeing 10% of your clients, that's high. Yeah. You know, some will tell you that see every client, but, you know, I mean, if I do the numbers on number of hours in a day and the number of days in a week and the family time that you absolutely have to pay attention to, it's virtually impossible to see every single client. So, Really, it was just embracing the different technology tools. Well, look, we're on Zoom right now, you and I. Mm-hmm. Never would have thought of that before. It's been around. Yeah. I never would have thought of that before. So here's the beauty of it. Aside from the social aspect of it, you're actually working far more efficiently and effectively now because you're having conversations that last the hour. There's no travel time. Yeah. You're not having that drink that's going to slow you down. Right. You're not having to look for parking, all the other issues, traffic. Not- And on a personal level, you don't have to count calories either. Right. Because the meal that you have at any one of these restaurants are calorie laden, right? So, and I can just tell you from my personal point of view, I mean, you know, it was a good thing, good change. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the working of the meetings with lenders, you can fit far more meetings in in a day. So now instead of saying, okay, look, I'm gonna visit with this lender or have a meeting with this lender today, then I'll have the next meeting after I have set aside a day to do my work, I'm going to meet with the next lender on Wednesday. I can actually meet with two or three of them all in one day. Right. Well, things move a whole lot faster. Right. So what about your current team? So you have a brokerage that you run, you have Simbic. Tell me about your current team. So what do you have there for your current production? Like how many people and stuff? So there's 96 of us. We do over a billion dollars a year. We deal with every single lender. When I say every single lender, we're not dealing with that small hole in the wall credit union that, you know, at the end of the day, doesn't really have the means to facilitate all the transactions, right? But we spread our business around. And I think it's extremely important, Scott, that every brokerage takes the time to, you know, try to fill the basket of as many lenders as they can as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, service being, of course, first and foremost in mind, because the one thing that actually happened. 2020 that we've all actually been witness to is a shortage of good help because of the enormity and the growth of the business, right? Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. It was a record year. 2021 starting to pretty much shape up to be the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. So with those challenges and look, our lender partners did very well to, you know, pivot as quickly as they possibly could to make it happen. So I was quite happy about that and very pleased that, you know, they pivoted quite well and address the COVID concerns and issues and, you know, for the sake of making sure that their people were safe and made the changes they need to make, as did we, so. Right. And then, so you said 96, and then do you have your personal production? Is that something you still have on the side or does somebody run your old book of business or just out of curiosity, so, what happens? So the beauty is that, yeah, so look, I've been in the business a long time. So of course, it's a very large book, but I touch none of it. I don't have the time, frankly. So I've got a couple of underwriters. They do absolutely everything. My clients know who they are. I really only get involved 
when it's necessary. So I have the odd client, you know, who I've known as a friend who wants to say hello the odd time that, of course, I'll engage and have a discussion with. But yeah, for the most part, I don't do any of the transactional stuff whatsoever. I haven't seen an application, Scott, in God, I can't even remember how far back I go. Right. I don't even know my ID to get into the system. <laughs> you can't, you couldn't get in there if you wanted to. <laughs> I have to ask, right? Right. And they're constantly changing the password. I can't keep up. So right, right. I'm not, I'm not engaged in the you know, transactional side at all. I'm mostly really about the management side of things. One of the things that I do uh, very well with my reach is I'm in constant communication with lenders because I've told you that, you know, in our previous conversation, you know, Simbic, which was really started to prove the relationship with brokers and lenders and demonstrate a real meaningful partnership versus the transactional day-to-day volume thing, right? Listen, we all want volume, but at the end of the day, when you've got the spreads that are thinning out with historical low interest rates, right? all the competition out there with all the money that needs to go out, you know, there's only one other way to make money. And that is, you know, basically doing it right and doing efficiency. Yeah. But efficiency is described by me in a couple of different ways. I'll give you an example. Take two $50 million producers. Okay. This one here touches the deals four times more than this one here. Mm -hmm. Okay. So who's making more money when you take into consideration quality of life, and, you know, from the standpoint of how hard they have to work to get that same 50 million, mm-hmm. it's really making more money. Right. The dollar figure is the same, but the one on the right here actually has an opportunity to now double their business because they're touching their deals four times less. Right. Or in your case, not at all. <laughs> there's a level, there's like four times, and there's just zero. It's like you can't get any lower than zero, right? Yeah, like, but that's a lot of experience, right? So, you know, let's walk before we run. We're not suggesting you guys can be like, hey, can I do mortgages in zero touch of them? That's, that's <laughs> like the touchless car wash, the touchless mortgage broker. I don't even, you know. Yeah. So, okay, so when you sit down and think about the sensitivities that lenders have, which is something that really I think needs to be addressed even more going forward. And that's the one thing I did was I was aware again of, one of the things that had to be, I think, fulfilled, you know, and addressed like, on a serious note was the sensitivities of lenders because your lender partners, in order for them to be there long term for you, they need to be profitable. And, you know, they can only support you as much as you support them. And mm-hmm. that change needed to happen. So that's kind of what I do at Mortgage Edge. You know, I've always sat with individuals who sometimes, for example, aren't necessarily following protocol. You know, we have a reminder discussion about how things need to be done, which gives you access to every single lender. Because think about it for a minute. If you're offside with a lender, what are they going to do? I'm going to get a phone call saying, hey, listen, you know what? It's just not working out with this individual. So it's my job to basically explain to each one of the agents who want access to every single lender and a top comp, right? How things need to be done and why. And here's the beauty. The beauty is being able to express to them and translate to them how that actually helps them make more money. Mm -hmm. To give you an example, you're my customer and I drive you crazy because I contact you 10 times. What have I done for you really aside from close the mortgage for you? Have I saved you on two of the most important commodities, 
that a consumer has or needs. Time and money. Mm -hmm. Both of those? Probably not, no. Right? Yeah. We need to make people aware on how they can improve that. I had an agent call me up once, Scott, and I'll tell you the story quickly, who says to me, Johnny, I just made $300,000 this year. I am through the roof, happy as a clam, and so on and so on. My question, Scott, was, well, how many deals do you close a month? And he says to me, 10 to 12. I said, well, that sucks. He says to me, well, what do you mean it sucks? I just made 300 grand. I said, no, no, that's not the part that sucks. The part that sucks is how much more you didn't make. Mm -hmm. Let's break this down for a minute. I says, okay, well, let's. I said, how long does it take you to close a deal on an aggregate basis from A to Z? He says, two hours max. I said, well, I'm going to call you slow. I'll give you four. So four times two in an eight-hour work week, or work day, rather, is two deals. There's 21 working days in a month. I'm going to give you the weekends off. That's 42. Mm-hmm. You're closing 10 to 12 what the hell are you doing with the rest of your time? Right. What it tells me, Scott, is you've got 10 files on your desk and you're shuffling them. And then you've got to call the lender more times than you need to. There's that unproductive piece versus that productive piece, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got to call your clients too many more times than you should. And you've got to call the referral sources more times than you should. So that's why it's not as good. Maybe sucks isn't the right word for it, but hey, that was in the mood at the time. Right. Hey, speak your mind. <laughs> I'm known for that, Scott. I know you are. I was doing a talk at this conference and you're the only person ever like, no, like interrupt me in the talk. And then we had a discussion. It was fine. But so, yes, I suspect that you do speak your mind. <laughs> <laughs> I would prefer to think of it as I interjected. Okay. Well, you interjected. That's perfect. It's much more polite. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious though. Okay, so I got to ask some rapid fire questions so you can answer these with shorter answers. So what's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? My net worth. Yeah. My waistline. The color of my eyes. From Google? You're not on Google? What? You just can't be found or what? I am on Google, but it doesn't tell you any of those. Oh, okay. I see. You're messing with me now. But the question <laughs> is, is what's something that, you know, just to people to get to know you a little bit, something that they may not realize? Yeah, look, you know what? I'm a pretty open book. They probably can't feel who I really am as an individual. So in other words, I'm extremely sentimental. You know, the funny thing is I've actually been told by some lenders, you know, John, I was just asked by that particular agent and broker why it is that you're so unapproachable, which actually takes me aback a little bit because I actually happen to be one of the most approachable individuals. You just have to approach me. Right. Make up a conversation. You know what I hear? This is my like armchair analysis of this is that I think that your directness is probably intimidating to people, right? You don't mince words. You're not rude. And I don't think that you're going to put up with bullshit. If you see it, you're going to be like, oh, hold on. Eh." You know, my wife is the same way, actually. So I live with somebody with that personality and it's like, well, hold on, false, you know, flag thrown. And so I think you seem to have that same wiring where truth is truth. I'm not going to not say it. So Yeah, well, listen, I mean, look, the response they usually give them is, you know, actually, he's not the guy you think he is. Maybe you should try. You know, Scott, I had a lender come up to me once, okay, a BDM out of nowhere. And she also was outspoken. She corners me at a conference and says, I heard you don't like me. And I said, who are you? 
says, you don't know me? I said, no. So I'm not sure how I can't like you if I have no idea who you are. Well, I heard that you don't like me. I said, well, I suggest you check your sources because, like I said, I don't dislike anybody I don't know. And if I dislike somebody, it's probably for very good reason. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a hate thing. It's just not the right fit. That's all. Right. It's a thing thing. It's all good. Okay. So what's a movie you think everybody should watch at least once? Wolf of Wall Street. Right. I said to you one of my favorite quotes earlier. Yeah. Out of adversity comes opportunity. Now, that's a prime example, Scott, of adversity that turned into opportunity. Here's a guy, Jordan Belford, that did 22 months in jail. And he comes out and he's worth $100 million today. Right. $100 million. Now, that's adversity to the nth degree turned into opportunity. Now, I'm not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination that anybody go out and do 22 months in jail. Right. That's a great business plan. When you talk about the resume, what's the extracurricular <laughs> activities? I spent 22 months in jail. Beat that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I want to beat it. I don't even want to match it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would not like Wow. Well, I think I'd be popular in jail in the wrong way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd have to give that intimidating look to keep him away from me, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that will uh, work in your favor. <laughs> so what's one software program or digital tool you use to, to run your mortgage business? So as I said to you when you asked earlier, I'm not a transactional guy. I don't really run my mortgage business. What I do encourage people to do is to use a good CRM program. And a CRM program, this is just my advice to people. A CRM program has to be something you hold near and dear to your chest. Okay. Because data is gold and it's key and it will become gold and key going forward. Everybody wants it. Mm -hmm. Be careful the system you choose to use because that data will be vulnerable one day. And I'll tell you how easy it is. How many times have you Googled looking to buy a lawn chair or a lawnmower? Google that has nothing to do with Instagram, Facebook, and all of a sudden, while you're on your Facebook or Instagram pages. Hey, new lawn chair. Oh, all the time. It happened to me yesterday. I was looking up a phone number for a Muay Thai place in town for my son. And next thing you know, I'm getting all these Muay Thai ads on my Facebook. Yeah, that's true. You know, speaking about social media, you have to wisely use social media. So that's the one thing I've learned over the last 12 months to really embrace social media. Mm -hmm. Critical, absolutely important. But again, the one thing that I will advise and caution people to do is to investigate how to properly utilize social media to promote yourself. Because not indifferent from print material, Scott, mm -hmm. it sent something in the mail and it was an advertisement that at the end of the day looked, felt, and smelled the same as everybody else's. And the only difference was the face and the phone number. You need to be unique. You need to send that personal message and it needs to be educational. Spend time investigating that. It'll pay dividends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, education-based marketing. What's one book we can recommend for our listeners? Who Moved My Cheese? Oh, that's a great one. You've read it? Yeah. I've always recommended the book going back years, especially with all the rapid changes that are taking place in the industry. You need to, again, slow down by running down that path 
and trying to visualize and become aware of the opportunities, the peripheral opportunities of change. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't change, you will wake up one day and you'll wonder what the hell happened. Right. Where did everybody go? (laughs) (laughs) Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo? Okay, this is the last question. Remember the movie Back to the Future with the car, the DeLorean? So I put you in that car, send you back to like, what was it, 1989, and you could give yourself three pieces of advice. Although maybe that's so far back that like, get a fax machine. I don't know what you'd tell yourself. What would three pieces of advice you'd give yourself to have a better business today? Well, I've already addressed one of them, and that was really slow down, kind of like a a wellness check. A wellness check on your business, a wellness check on yourself, a wellness check on your family life. Because, you know, look, if you just keep running at that high speed, things will start to happen that are unexpected and uninvited, quite frankly. So that would be one. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I would tell you is this, and I started to learn this later on in my career. There's much more to the mortgage broker business than meets the eye. Okay. So I would recommend that agents and brokers alike pay attention to what those opportunities are. Investments, for example, making investments. I stumbled on construction financing totally by accident, as an example. Mm-hmm. I was lending out construction financing. So, in my mindset, I was just that lender at all times. You know, I was there really to serve that one function that was lending money until one day I woke up and said, hmm. I can do what that person's doing. Let me study how to do construction, not finance, because I had the money to sell finance. I wanted to learn the construction piece. Obviously, they're making money or they wouldn't be paying you for the money, right? True enough. That's what you're saying. You're saying, hey, wait a second. Why am I not moving level up the chain here instead of like use my own money to make more money? Exactly. So really kind of slow down and try to understand what other opportunities you can take advantage of to enhance your portfolio, basically. You know, rather than just making a whole lot of money, try to kind of find ways what to do with the money that helps you out more in the long term and actually fulfills you, right? Because mm-hmm. it was an exciting thing to make change again, right? It was like, okay, the mortgage- it was, new, it was a new thing to tackle, something new to learn. Yeah, and it kind of led into a whole bunch of other things that I'm not going to get into, right? So that as well. And really just, you know, if you're going to get into management, a lot of the steps that I took along the way kind of- help me learn how to manage people better. And when I say manage, I never like to say I work or people work for me. I like to say I work with people. And that's the Mm -hmm. one thing I started to learn along the way was, you know, when you work with people, you work a lot better together. Yeah. When you have people that are working for you. So that's the one thing that I would suggest that people kind of step back and ask themselves the question, what's this relationship look like? You know, what is it that I would have liked if I were there starting off what would I like to, you know, learn from a relationship? So those are the kind of the three things that, you know, stand out. Right. Yeah, that's really, really good. Where can people find you online? Hey, they can find me on Facebook. They can find me on Instagram. They can find me on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. Are uh, you on TikTok? Come on, you must be on TikTok. I'm actually not. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just messing with you. I didn't think you'd say, yeah, I got a huge following on TikTok. No, I don't, you know what? It's because maybe it's just my misconception. I hear a lot of people that get recipes on there and I'm just not a chef, right? Or a cook. Right. I don't call myself a cook. I'm a barbecuer, but I'm not a cook. And listen, if you want to email me, I'm at uh, johnb at simbic.ca, C-I-M-B-C.ca. So. Right. Well, hey, man, it's been great to actually have a conversation. We've talked in the past recently. We've connected again, but it's great to connect and hear a bit of your story and 
you know, share your insights, man, you've been in the mortgage trenches for many, many years. And so if you're listening to this guys, go check out the, the link to the show and reach out to John. He's an open book. He's going to give you the truth. You know, you can't handle the truth. I remember that <laughs> that should be your quote, man, for, for life. But anyway, it's been good to chat with you, John. Yeah, thanks again, Scott. I appreciate the opportunity and it's been a pleasure. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.